0: Welcome to Revelation Warning, a weekly podcast hosted by Pastor Robert Thibodeau as he interviews prophecy experts from around the world as we discuss current events in relation to Bible prophecy. All of this is to give the world a final revelation warning. Now, here is your host with this week's guest, Pastor Robert Thibodeau.
1: Hello everyone everywhere, Pastor Robert Thibodeau here. Welcome to the Revelation Warning Podcast. We are so blessed that you're joining us here today. As everyone knows who listens to these programs, I firmly believe we are living in the last the last days before the return of Jesus to this earth. I can't help but look at the news we see every night on the television and, and just relate it to Bible prophecy. Our guest today, Kermit Zarley, has had a very interesting past, one that's been blessed by God for sure. He's an expert, though, on Bible prophecy and has been studying the Bible for the last 50 years. What else has he been doing in those 50 years? Well, Kermit Zile spent 30 years full-time on the PGA Tour and afterwards on the Senior and Champions Tour. In those 30 years, he won five tournaments, was runner-up 17 times, and he also co-founded and led the PGA Tour Bible Study which still thrives today, 55 years later. Praise God. Now retired, Kermit is a pioneering author of books on biblical studies, with nine books published, and his first book, The Gospel, was endorsed by none other than Billy Graham himself. Praise God. Kermit's now writing a 12-book series on Bible prophecy titled Still Here, with four of these books already published, and that's what we're going to focus on today. Help me welcome to the program Kermit Zarley. Kermit, it is such a blessing to have you on the program today. I appreciate your time.
2: Well, thank you, Robert. And uh, it's a joy to be here with you.
1: And now the first question I always start with, other than that brief information I just shared, can you tell us in your own words who is Kermit Zarley?
2: Well, I got a strange name. And uh, I was born in Seattle, Washington. Uh, I took up golf. As a kid, I uh, went to the University of Houston because they had a good golf team. They were winning the NC2A Championship almost every year. Uh, I graduated from there and went on the PGA Tour. My first year on the tour, uh, Bob Hope interviewed me and Jack Nicklaus, who played in his tournament uh, on the last round. And uh, he said to Jack, hey, Jack, who's this guy, Kermit Zarley, you play golf with today? With a name like that, he sounds like the pro from the moon. <laughs> and that became hey, my nickname with the media, the <laughs> pro from the moon. Hey, man. Hey, man. I, I
1: remember reading that. Yeah, that was funny. But, yeah, you, you played in the heyday. I mean, you know, Jack Nicholas, Arnold Palmer, and, and all them, and uh, the... Uh, I remember growing up watching that I've always been fascinated with golf. Not very good at it, but I, I've always been watching it. Uh, my grandson, he was, he was excellent at it. He, I took him out when he was three or four years old and introduced him to golf. And he just took it. He, he made the uh, varsity team as a freshman in high school and, and won tournaments and all that good stuff. But uh, yeah, he, he, he just, <laughs> I'm a retired cop. And when I used to get off duty at work at midnights, with. I was like, Hey, it's a nice day. Let's go play some golf. So I swing by, pick him up. He'd smoke all the cops. I mean, just seven years old. He was the the the, the challenge for our department was to beat Christopher at golf. Right? Yeah. <laughs> so so yeah. it was always a we, we, we Our family is just enjoying golf, and and I, I just appreciate your contribution to the game, and 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 just those memories. Uh, just thinking about it just brings back memories. Praise the Lord. But yeah. you were studying the Bible even before you went on tour, correct?
2: Yeah, that's right. Uh, I didn't come from a religious home, but both of my parents had respect for Christians because they they both uh, grew up in church-going families. And so one of my uncles started pastoring a little Nazarene church a mile from my house And so when I was five years old, my mother sent me off to Sunday school there at the church. And so I grew up going to Sunday school. When I was 13 years old, my Sunday school teacher, who was a student at the University of Washington, he had us kids memorize 10 verses in the New Testament. And one of them was Ephesians 2, 8, and 9, For by grace are you saved through faith and not of works. And so I asked Gordy, what does this mean, not of works? I thought I was a Christian just by trying to be good. And he said, well, let's talk about this after Sunday school class. So we did, just him and I. And uh, he invited me to have prayer with him, and I accepted Jesus into my life at that time. And so God. I believe I was born again, like Jesus said to Nicodemus in the gospel of John in chapter three, you need to be born again. And so I believe I was born again into the kingdom of God by faith in my Savior and Lord Jesus Christ. And so, but then we moved away from the church. I didn't go to Sunday school anymore. But when I went down to Houston to go to college, there were a bunch of guys in the athletic dormitory who were Christians and they were Uh, meeting for Bible study in the dorm. And I started joining with them. And that's when I I really started to grow as a Christian and became a student of the Bible right away and for the rest of my life.
1: Amen. That's awesome. Awesome. And you were writing books on theology while you were a full-time golf pro as well, right? How did you manage that?
2: That's right. You know, it was a hobby at first. Uh, Here's what happened. I studied a subject, uh, the second coming of Christ, in the Bible. And then I read some books about it, too. And I wrote a 30-page letter. This happened when I was 30 years old. I was still playing the tour full-time and, you know, raising a family and everything. I have three children and six grandchildren. And so then I I started thinking I wonder if I could ever write a book, and uh, <laughs> it's funny, uh, you know I I said that to my my wife one day we we're driving out of church Marilyn I'm going to write a book she says what you can't write <laughs> and she she had an English degree and she knew some about writing she I thought she was pretty good at it and I I laughed and I said. Well, yeah, you're right, but I'm going to learn from you. She had a real good vocabulary, you see. Mine was terrible. And Amen. so I hated to look the words up in the dictionary and all this. And so anyway, I but I had determination. If I put my mind to something, I'm liable to do it. Amen. And so that's what happened. And so uh, along came my first book there in 1987, The Amen. Gospels Interwoven, and Billy Graham endorsed it, so I was on my way.
1: And, and I have that book.
2: Uh, oh, I mean, do you? We, yeah,
1: we we recently moved about three months ago, and there's a lot of stuff still packed up. I know I got because I purchased that book back. I got born again in 1992, and oh. you know, trying to read the Bibles and all that stuff, you know, was, was you know getting confusing. So you know, along came Amazon, right? Yeah, and uh, and I remember I purchased that book, and I keep every book. I've you know, my grandson came in. At The other house we had three walls covered with bookshelves. He goes, Papa, did you read all those books? I go, Some of them several times. <laughs> you <know>? <laughs> <laughs> but your book is one of them that I did purchase because it just made it easy for me to understand the gospels. You
2: know, oh, great!
1: I, I was trying to find it, it must be up in the attic, still boxed up. And uh, because I was like, Oh man, this would be a great shot just to hold it up, and say, See. <laughs> <You know? laughs> But, hey, man, I know I got your book, though, because it it was one of the first books when I got born again in 92. I guess I ordered it probably about 1994 or so right in that area. How about that? Praise the Lord. But Now, when you wrote this book, did you realize it was going to be something that you continue to do?
2: Well, that was my goal. I wanted to write more than one book. But you know, I wrote wrote this thirty-page letter about—I mean, uh, uh, thirty-page document about what I had learned about the Second Coming of Christ, and uh, and my direction was that my first book was going to be on the Second Coming. Mm. But then I told a couple of friends of mine about another idea I had, and that was joining the Gospels together in one reading. I didn't know very much about history about this. And uh, it had been done quite a lot in the history of the church. Uh, And so uh, I told my professor friend at Dallas Theological Seminary, uh, Dr. S. Lewis Johnson, and uh, another friend of mine, Jim Hiskey, who had helped us start the PGA Tour Bible study, and both of them said the same thing. I think you ought to you ought to make that your first book. That's, that's a better idea, I think. And so I got convinced by them, and so that's what I did. And so The Gospels Interwoven became my first book, the gospel, actually, and then The Gospels Interwoven the next month. And then my third book uh, was a book on prophecy, Bible prophecy, and that is uh, Palestine is Coming, Mm. The Revival of Ancient Philistia. And uh, so that became my first book on Bible prophecy. Then Still Here came later on.
1: Yeah, amen. So you mentioned the PGA Tour Bible Study Group. When you co-founded this group, did you think it would last as long as it has?
2: Wow. I don't know if I had any thoughts about that, but, you know, we started as a small group. It was just six guys, uh, five on the PGA Tour, and uh, a couple of them had been new Christians, Dave Reagan and Paul Bonison, and they had quite a change of life. Uh, Dave was a pretty good player. He finished second to Jack Nicklaus in the PGA Championship one year, and so... You know, there was this uh, discussion going on among some of the players on the tour about some of these guys, you know, having a changed life like this because they are Christians. And so we decided, well, why don't we just start a Bible study out here on the PJ Tour? And that was 1965 in Philadelphia. And so that's what we did. It was small group at first. But we, you know, grew a little bit through the years. Uh, We would have outside speakers come and speak to our group. We would hold the meetings usually on Tuesday night or Wednesday night before the tournament in some uh, hotel place. And uh, about almost half the time we get what I call outside speakers. We had Billy Graham speak to us. Uh, four times, Amen. and so that's how I got to know Billy Graham. Amen.
1: Yeah, I, that was the question I was going to ask, because I, I know the rounds start very early in the mornings, and there's travel time in between events and all that stuff. So I was going to ask, when did you hold your Bible study? When did you have time to meet, you know? So was, yeah, as you arrived that, into town and before the, the stuff all started then.
2: Yeah, that was a big issue for us, you know, to squeeze it into our, yeah. our busy uh, lives. And uh, so we chose 7 o'clock in the evening uh, for the early years. We did it on Tuesday night. Uh, Pro-Am was always on Wednesday on the PGA Tour. And then the tournament would start on Thursday and go through Sunday. So you have four rounds uh, for all the tournaments on the PGA Tour. And so we just decided, okay, the only time we can do this is Tuesday night at 7 o'clock. Uh, and we would meet for about mm, an hour and fifteen minutes uh and it was open to all the players and their wives and uh even to the caddies and officials in the tournament uh It wasn't open to the public right, right. Uh, We made the bible the the center of our discussion uh We would have a sharing period when we'd start out. we'd open with prayer. And uh, people would then share their lives for about 10 minutes, you know, some experience they've had with God, things like that. And then uh, we would usually get into the Bible, uh, read some text, and discuss it. Uh, and we would close in prayer. And that's the way we went. We put a, a sign up in the locker room PJ Tour Bible study at such and such a hotel. Tuesday night at 7 o'clock. That's the way we went year after year. Nowadays, there's so many good players that are part of the PGA Tour Bible Study and have been through the years and won lots of major championships. It's just amazing.
1: Yeah, amen. And do they ever invite you to come speak at the groups?
2: Well, uh, I retired in 2005, and so I... I had renewed my PGA Tour career when I turned 50. Mm -hmm. You know, nobody really expected that this uh, senior tour, which then was renamed the Champions Tour, that that was going to be a significant thing in professional golf. (laughs) They started it in 1980 just on a lark. Uh, Jimmy Demerit got together some of his friends. And uh, they went and played golf over in Austin, Texas. And lo and behold, the television people found out about that and they loved the idea. And so that was the kind of the catalyst for getting the senior tour going. So when I turned 50 in 1991, I became eligible for that and returned to my career and played full time uh, for 10 more years on the senior champions tour.
1: Amen, amen. It's good though to see what you started continuing to thrive all these years later. You know, and yeah. God, God is at work,
2: and uh, for sure, yeah. I uh, I'm just amazed that yeah. you know you can start out like Jesus said, a uh, mustard seed, the smallest yeah. seed in the garden, but uh, you know the kingdom of God grows into the the biggest plant in the garden. Amen.
1: That's right. Amen. Amen. Now, let's shift gears a little bit. Now, you hold the belief of what you call a historic premillennialist, and thus you are a post-tribulationist. Now, I can respect that. I hold the same views, basically, but at the same time, I have to admit, I kind of pray to be taken out of here before all the trouble starts, right? (laughs) But but at the same time, I do believe we're going to be going through some troubling times in the not-too-distant future. Amen. But can you share with our listeners why you hold to the post-tribulation viewpoint rather than the pre-tribulation theory that's popular today.
2: Yes. Well, um, in 1971, uh, in the off-season of the PGA Tour, which would be like uh, November, December, um, I was reading my Bible in my study room in my home and I was reading Jesus' Olivet Discourse. And I came to the verse uh, in Matthew chapter 24, verse 36. Uh, no man knows the day or the hour uh, when the Son of Man will return. And uh, I knew that text, you know, pretty well. And, but for the first time, it just jumped out on me. Uh, I also knew about the hypostatic union. Uh, that means that, uh, Jesus is both, uh, God and man and that he has these, uh, two natures. And so, uh, I, I just got to thinking, uh, huh, wow. So this, uh, this caused me to sh- study the, uh, the return of Christ. And, uh, I, uh, I, 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 I two verses uh, stood out at me. That was first Thessalonians four uh, verses 13 through eighteen, in which um, uh, Jesus is speaking of the uh, the dead shall rise and he shall return. And I had always been taught for twelve years that Jesus' uh, second coming was in two parts. And so I, uh, the first part would be before this tribulation, which I was taught would last for seven years, and they called that the rapture. It, they said it was silent. Uh, Jesus would come into the air from heaven, and the people of God who were deceased would come up out of their graves, and those who were living would then join them, go up into the sky, and meet Jesus in the air, and then he would take them off to heaven. That's called pre-tribulationism. And I was still a premillennialist. That means that uh, when Jesus comes after the tribulation, he'll come and bring his church with him down to the earth, and then he will establish his kingdom on the earth and in all of its fullness and glory. And this is called pre, uh, premillennialism. So, pre tribulationism is a view within premillennialism. The other two prominent viewpoints uh, are uh, post uh, millennialism and all millennialism. The Catholic Church generally uh, has been kind of all millennialist. And so I've been a premillennialist all of my life since I was 18 years old. But uh, I then questioned uh, this verse and thought, well, uh, I don't know about this separating these two events. It seems more to me like uh, various passages in the Bible are just speaking of one second coming, and it would be at the end of the tribulation. And so I read some books, Dr. John Wolver, president of Dallas Theological Seminary. That school had been the main school in the United States that taught the uh pre-tribulational view of premillennialism, wrote a book about it, The Blessed Hope. So I got his book and read it. But then he he mentioned George Ladd, who is a professor over uh at um uh, can't think of the school now. Over in Pasadena, Cal Fuller, Fuller Theological Seminary, and he he uh, wrote a book uh, that was historic premillennialism, meaning not a pre-tribulational rapture, but there was just one event, the second coming at the end of the tribulation. So I got his book, and then I was learning about these early Plymouth Brethren who had really established re-established premillennialism. The early church fathers had believed in this, uh, but then eventually other views became more dominant in the history of the church. But the Plymouth Brethren renewed it in the early part of the 19th century. And uh, the two leading uh, teachers among them were John Nelson Darby and Benjamin Wills Newton, and then Darby started teaching this pre-tribulationism within the premillennial viewpoint. And Newton disagreed with him. And there was a clash, and then there was a division of the Plymouth Brethren. And you have the open and closed Plymouth Brethren because of it. And so I I decided I'm gonna go to Dallas Seminary. I lived in Houston, and so I went up to Dallas Seminary, rented a hotel. And stayed there for one week in the library from the moment they opened the door to the time they closed the door at 11 p.m. And I studied all these books by John Nelson Darby and Benjamin Wills Newton, uh, who wrote about this stuff. Uh, Darby wrote 34 books, and most of all this was on Bible prophecy, yeah. And so I became convinced that, no, Newton is right. There's only one second coming. There's It's not split up into two different events. And so there isn't a pre-tribulation rapture. There's only Jesus coming at the end of the tribulation. Amen. Amen. So that Amen. became my view.
1: Amen. And, and as I've progressed in life, I guess you could say, I'm holding to the same thing. Because, I mean, I see stuff going on in the news right now that, you know, it's. I mean, it's lining up pretty good. <laughs> let's put it like that. But We ain't seen nothing yet. It's just, yeah. you know, these are just the birth pangs, you know, but, uh, amen. Yeah. But let's look at your book series still here. Okay. Uh, you began this book in 2006 with the third day Bible code. Can you give us a synopsis of this book in the series? And, and has your premise changed since you first published the book?
2: No, it's, it's remained the same. Uh, <clears throat> when I uh, became a serious Christian studying the Bible back when I was in college, I I st- uh, would put a, a sheet of paper in the back of my Bible, and I'd write down questions, questions that I had about the Bible. Hmm. That became a big list. Eventually, there was 50 questions. I got almost up to 100 after a few years. Wow. Yeah. Sometimes wow. I would go in there and write in there, that I got the answer to it, and most of the time I got the answer. Uh, and so, I had this one question for a long time. I didn't do anything about studying it, and it was in Hosea chapter six. I'm going to get my Bible here, and I'm going to make sure that I don't misquote it. Uh, Hosea chapter six, uh, starting with verse one, it says, uh, "Come, let us return to the Lord." For it is He who has torn and He will heal us. He has struck us down and He will bind us up. After two days, He will revive us. On the third day, He will raise us up that we may live before Him. Amen. And so I was wondering to myself ah, that seems like that's talking about the resurrection, you know, Jews. Orthodox Jews, they believe like Christians do. Uh, in fact, that's where we got it. from. You know, I just read <laughs> from the Jewish Bible right there. Yeah, That's part of the Christian Bible, the yeah. Old Testament. Yeah. And so uh, they believe in the resurrection too. And so uh, I wondered, what does this mean? Two days will revive us. On the third day, it'll raise us up. And so one day I said to myself, you know, I haven't looked into this, but today, I don't have anything to do, and this was about 2004, and so I opened my Bible, and I said, okay, the first place to start, get your trusty Bible concordance out. Amen. So Amen. I got Strong it out. Concordance. I, I regard a, a Bible concordance as the second most important book in my library Amen. My Bible, and Amen. so this is the way a Bible student should be, That's and right. so I got it out, and I looked up, uh uh second day and th- and third day and fourth day and fifth day and sixth day, and you know I looked up third day first and I I thought, oh wow, the, there's a third day motif in some of the most important events that ever happened to the nation of Israel in their history. Mm-hmm. Look at uh uh Abraham in Genesis 22 uh God tells him to go sacrifice his son his only son, Isaac. And uh, he makes this journey, he doesn't even know where he's going. Uh, But he's headed from Beersheba where he's living up towards uh, Jebus, you know, and that's where Jerusalem came about. Uh, At least that's what is believed in in Jewish history, in, you know, literature. So anyway, but, He, uh, The Bible says in verse 4, he looked up and he saw the place. He looked up on the third day. He saw the place where God wanted him to sacrifice Isaac. And so I thought, third day? And so then, uh, you know, in my concordance, I'm learning, uh, well, third day was important when Moses uh, took the children of Israel out of Egypt, and uh, they went down to Mount Sinai, and Moses went up on the mountain, spoke to God, and God said, go down and tell the people I'm going to come down and see them on the third day. Get ready. Yeah. And so then Moses got the Ten Commandments after that. So you yeah. have this third day yeah. motif through so yeah. all these, you know, Esther saved the Jews on the third day. Yeah, they, yeah. That's in chapter uh, three and five in Esther, yeah. book of Esther. And so Uh, I was just amazed at this. What is this important, the third day? Because Jesus, we believe, Christians believe, was raised from the dead on the third day. day. Why was he raised on the third day, not some other day? Mm. So this became the basis of my book, The Third Day Bible Code. And it became the only book ever written in the history of the church, all languages and everything, as far as I know, a full book on this subject of the third day in the Bible.
1: Amen. 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 Now, book two is called Warrior from Heaven. It was published in 2009, and it's about Jesus, our warrior king, delivering the nation of Israel at his second coming. Can you share a little bit about that?
2: Yes, that book begins with the Antichrist gathering the leaders of the world and their militaries. They they come down into Israel to wipe the place out and uh that's when you know there's a temple there the jews have built the temple which would be the third temple and so <clears throat> there uh uh when uh when solomon built the first temple uh he dedicated it and gave this wonderful prayer to god yeah. amen and oh, goodness, uh god. and so he prayed to god that when my people are being attacked by an enemy, or some terrible trouble is happening, if they will go to this place where God has placed his name in this temple at Jerusalem, uh, please come and deliver us. And so, uh, in my book, uh, Jews are gathering at the temple, this is at the end of the tribulation, and they're praying to God, uh, for deliverance because the antichrist and all these armies are coming to destroy the place
1: yep. and
2: uh and so this is when jesus returns and he comes into the air and you see this light you know there's all this darkness and you see this light coming and it's jesus and he comes down and delivers his people and it goes on thousands of uh, verses in the Bible about the end times. And I join them all together in one reading in the present tense, like a newspaper reporting. And I put all of the scripture references in the margins mm-hmm. and uh, to keep them out of the text. Yeah, That's amen. warrior from heaven.
1: Yeah. Amen. Amen. Now, book three is a little more current, published in 2020, titled Moses predicted COVID 19. Let me ask you, did Moses
2: predict COVID 19? <laughs> well, it's an ambitious title. I had another verb in there, and uh, I think it was indicate or something. And my eldest daughter is my webmaster, and she said, Dad, that's not a very attractive title there. And so she says, put in predicted. <laughs> So I'm going to blame it on her. <laughs> but here's what the book is about. <clears throat> COVID hit in 2020. And I had never really known very much about the history of, of pandemics that the, the United States of America and sometimes much of the world had suffered in modern times. Uh, but. I started looking at it one day and uh we had this terrible one called the Spanish flu back during the second uh first world war and uh then you know there were all these pandemics afterwards and I noticed that oh they think okay first of all these pandemics uh were caused by a coronavirus well that's what covid-19 is a coronavirus And so then I learned that they believe that each one of these pandemics are actually nine that have happened in the past since the Spanish flu in the United States. And they believe that each one was caused by an animal, um, four of them by bats, if COVID-19 was caused by a bat. We're not actually sure of that, but... uh, and so anyway, I, this caused me to think of, huh, each one of those animals, uh, Moses has these food laws in Leviticus 11 and Deuteronomy 14, and they're about meat, animal meat, that he says, okay, you can eat this meat, but you can't eat this meat. So it's called clean animals and unclean animals. And of course, he's getting his information from God right. up on Mount Sinai. Yep. And so uh, I noticed that, uh, ooh, all these animals that they think caused these pandemics were in the category of unclean animals in Moses' dietary laws here. And so this caused me to think, I wonder if, if COVID-19 is a result of this. And so that caused me to write this book, and that became the the book three and still here.
1: Amen. So should we be eating kosher from this point on in an effort to keep ourselves and our families healthy?
2: Well, it's a good question. I don't go that far in the book, and I just say, well, eating kosher looks pretty healthy to me. (laughs) Uh, You know, I was convinced that uh, Moses' dietary laws uh having a health aspect to them yeah and uh and so I was convinced of that. That's quite a debate right there mm-hmm. uh and so um, I don't go so far as say eat kosher, but what I do say is I think the world should r- recognize uh these dietary laws of Moses, these animals that are unclean animals, many of most of which are wild animals. That we should give them their space because yeah. as population grows in the world, we're claiming more and more land that humans are living on. And that creates less and less natural habitat for the wild animals. Yeah. And we should be aware that uh, these uh, that humans and these wild animals leave a separation there and we'll be a healthier world for it. Yeah.
1: Amen. Amen. Now Book 4 is an interesting book titled the Bible predicts Trump fall. Yes. And that was published last year in 2022 and from what I've read it doesn't sound like you're a Trump fan from the start, right? <laughs> uh what did you see in the man that caused you to feel that way?
2: Well, you know, right away uh Donald Trump uh announced his run for presidency. <laughs> And he was calling himself a Republican. And so I started paying attention to him and uh, was following his political campaign there in 2015 and 16. And uh, then I, I got I started getting turned off by this guy. Uh, you know, he's well known in golf. I mean, he owns all these great golf courses. We play golf tournaments on them. And, uh, so I started thinking, nah, Donald Trump, uh, this guy's kind of a con man. Um, and so I have this blog, uh, my blog started in 2013 called Kermit Zarley blog. It's hosted by patheos.com, uh, which is the largest, uh, conversation on faith in the world, patheos.com. And so... I started writing about Donald Trump as he was uh, campaigning for president. And so here's a quote from my blog in May 20th, 2016. So this is uh, gonna be about, what is that? About oh, seven months. Year, seven months before the November election, right? Uh, the presidential election 2016. And I wrote, I think Donald Trump is a big bag of hot air ready to blow up like the Hindenburg balloon if he becomes U.S. president. (laughs) So I wrote about 350 posts Mm. about Donald Trump from the time he started campaigning for president until his presidency was ended. And then I thought, hmm, well— if you look on the cover of my book, there's the book. That If they're looking at me, they can see. There's a Bible verse down there that says, Pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. Amen. That is in Proverbs 16, 18. So if you look at the wisdom literature of the Bible, and incidentally, a lot of Jesus' sayings in the New Testament Gospels uh, fall into this category of wisdom literature, you will see things like this about pride and so forth. Yeah. And God is yeah. speaking to these people, and he's saying, here's what's going to happen to people like this. And so that's what the, uh, I turned this into a book. I just, uh, it was all of my quotes, uh, you know, many of my Amen. quotes from from my blog.
1: Amen. So you were writing these things extensively on your blog while he was president. Yeah, These were not hindsight 2020 type things. These events were they already occurred and then you were writing them down. And now looking back, you know, you can see it. Uh, How was your blog being received by fellow believers while all this was going on?
2: That's Robert. That's a real good point you're making right there. And that's the reason I wrote the book. Uh is to is to just show that I was saying all this back then. And why was I saying it? I was saying it because of the Bible. Yeah. And yet we've got all these Christians, especially in evangelicalism. I've been an evangelical all of my life since I was, you know, born again, I believe, and been in evangelical churches all my life. And they're all you know, being convinced of Donald Trump. But why were they being convinced of him and supporting him and voting for him as president? Well, it was transactional. I mean, you know, he was going to do whatever he could about the abortion thing uh, because that's what they wanted. Uh, they wanted to get Ro- rid of Roe versus Wade. They wanted to get more conservative uh judges on the supreme court and it goes on and on like this and so trump just realized hey this is a big untouched uh voting block here these evangelicals and a lot of other christians with them and uh they haven't been listened to that much that's what his his advisors were telling him and so he was uh you know he was he was telling them hey i'm going to give you what you want and that's what happened. But at the same time, it was bringing ill repute on Christianity, in my opinion. Yeah, And yeah. so that's worse. Mm-hmm. And so that's why I came out against it. Yeah. Hey Amen. Can you share
1: some of the Bible scriptures you shared about Donald Trump that applied to him while he was president?
2: Oh, I would say uh, main one is Trump is all about winning. Well, hey. I was a professional golfer on a PGA tour. You think I'm not about winning? (laughs) I know about competition. Yeah. I was in athletics professionally. And so, yeah, the world runs on competition a lot. And you strive to win and all this stuff. But be careful about it. What does Jesus teach? Did Jesus win? (laughs) Jesus went to the cross. Yeah. And so he died for our sins and that's how he became a winner. He says the first shall be last and the last shall be first. And so that's the thing that Donald Trump doesn't understand. Yeah. And all Christians should understand this. Humble yourself before the mighty hand of God. Amen. And he will lift you up. Amen.
1: Amen. Well put. Now, this book series, uh, still here. It's supposed to be a 12-book series. When's the next book in the series? When's it titled and when do you believe it'll be published?
2: Okay, the next book is entitled The Late Great Plastic Empire. Mm. And so it's a takeoff from Hal Lindsey's book The Late Great Planet Earth mm-hmm. that was published in 1970. Yeah, Hal Lindsey and I come from the same church Mm. in Houston, Texas. I heard how in my freshman year at college, I went to a Campus Crusade for Christ retreat and he spoke on Bible prophecy. He spoke on the nation of Israel, uh, Israel becoming a nation again after 1800 years of dispersion of the Jews throughout the world. They lost their country, the Romans threw them out, and then 1948, they get their country back. And Hal Lindsey is, is te- uh, speaking on this subject and it's so whetted my appetite <laughs> that I became interested in Bible prophecy right there. Amen. And, and so, <clears throat> I, I'm sorry I lost my train of thought. You asked me the question.
1: When, when will it be published?
2: Okay, it will be published. I'm not sure of that. I hope I'll get it published before the end of the year. Amen. Uh, but it'll be a takeoff of Lindsay's book, The Late Great Planet Earth.
1: Amen. When it comes out, you gotta come back on so we can talk about it.
2: Amen. Okay. Praise the
1: Lord. Amen. This, this, this is right up my alley. I mean, I, I'm I'm ai just love let's say that my my preaching that I do on a Sunday morning broadcast and stuff centers usually around looking at what's happening on the news and comparing it to Bible prophecy. You know? So, I mean, I'm right there with you. Amen. Amen. So when you see the huge natural disasters happening, you know, and many in places that haven't had to deal with things on this level before you see the wars and rumors of wars going on, you know, mainly between China, Russia, Iran, and the United States. Inflation and crime out of control, the breakdown of social norms. What is your opinion on what the short-term future holds for this nation and the world?
2: Oh, wow, that's a big question. Um, <clears throat> well, first of all, uh, the Apostle Paul says in Second Corinthians 2, uh there was a a rumor going around, uh, and, and must have been going around there in the church at Thessalonica in Greece, uh, that the second coming had already happened. Yeah, and so he had to squash that idea, and he says, "No, two things have to happen first. Two pro- Bible prophecies have to happen first in the world before Jesus can come back, and that is." the apostasy, which means the falling away. Now, what does the falling away mean? Falling away from what? Well, I believe it's the falling away from goodness, righteousness. And I would throw in the Ten Commandments, uh, except for the commandment, uh, uh, one of the commandments. But in other words, uh, goodness and righteousness. And then Paul says also, the man of lawlessness, who is the Antichrist. And so it's these two things. Well, there are others uh, in the prophets that we could read about also that have to happen first, just like the building of the temple at Jerusalem. That has to happen before the second coming of Christ. Um, but so anyway, the apostasy is a falling away. I, that's, I believe that's been happening in my lifetime. There's been a falling away going on. And it will just continue uh, throughout the uh, time until Jesus returns. Yeah. And, uh, you know, we can we can try to, we can get in these culture wars and, and try to establish righteousness in the world uh, by laws and so forth. But it all starts in people's hearts. And yeah. Christians should be centered on this that everybody needs to have God in yeah. their life. Amen. God is Amen. the creator. God made us, and we're not a satisfied being until we let God come into our lives. Amen. And uh, we believe, Robert, that that happens by believing in Jesus. And so this is, this is what life is all about. Uh, if people... If people's hearts will be changed for the good and the better, they let God in, then they're going to bring about a goodness and a righteousness in the world that people will see, and a lot of people will be attracted to that. Not everybody. There will still be this persecution Christians will have to go through. And we spoke of the tribulation. That's a time when the Antichrist is killing off the Christians and all this stuff, and it's a time of trial. It won't last forever. It'll last for a certain period of time, and then Jesus will return with his kingdom and peace forevermore on this earth.
1: Praise God. Amen. And I am looking forward to that day.
2: (laughs) Robert, could I um, uh, give an invitation to our listeners here about um, about my Still Here books? Um, I have a website, kermitzarley.com, and part of that website is dedicated to my writing and my books, and uh, I have my books all available on amazon.com, so you can go there and buy books, but if there's anybody out there who would consider reading one of my Still Here books and uh, going to Amazon and writing a review of the book, I will send you a free book. Either uh, I will send some printed books. Um, I might have a limit on that, but I can certainly send eBooks. and I'll do this for free. I'm not asking you to promise to uh, write a review because Amazon has rules against that, Uh, but I can ask you if you would just consider it.
1: Right. Amen. Amen. And and I'll put links to all this down in the show notes below. Absolutely. Okay. Now, the, I mean, folks, let me start at the beginning. As we stated at the beginning, I should say, there's no doubt we're living in the last days. I mean, Jesus' return is imminent, and things are only going to get worse before they get better. And we can see it happening every single night on the news. This should not be a shock to any believer. So what will you do to prepare? What will you do to share the gospel before it's too late? I recommend you drop down the show notes and order one, two, or three or more of these excellent books by Kermit Zarley. Amen. Do it now, right now, before the devil tries to distract you and make you forget all about it. And I highly recommend, highly recommend Gospels Interwoven. I mean, I have personally used this book to help me in Bible studies, and I can attest to the power of reading the gospel straight through without repeats and wondering why one writer put this in front of another event and all that. Kermit did all the work in syncing these things up into a complete narrative that is excellent. I highly, highly encourage you get this book to, to put right along your Bible study books. But let's not forget about the Still Here books as well. These are important books that will build your faith, especially in this day and time. While you're there on Amazon or elsewhere, look up his other books. But folks, all these books, they're theologically accurate. They will help you to go deeper into your faith than you ever thought possible. Amen. Drop down the show notes, get in touch with Kermit, get get this free ebook so you can go over on Amazon and leave an accurate review, and that's going to help him get the word out, which is what we're all about. Get the word out into all the earth that the soon return of Jesus is imminent, and time is running out here on this late, great planet Earth. Amen. So, (laughs) Had to get that shot in there.
2: Yeah.
0: <laughs>
1: Kermit, <laughs> I do appreciate your time for coming on the program sharing your experiences and sharing your faith with our listeners today, man. I do appreciate it.
2: I enjoyed it very much, Robert. And God bless you and your ministry here. Amen.
1: Folks, that's all the time we have for today for Kermit Zarley, myself. pastor Bob reminding you to be blessed in all that
0: you do. You have been listening to Revelation Warning with Pastor Robert Thibodeau and his guest expert on Bible prophecy as it relates to current events. This podcast is not designed to invoke fear, but concern. Help us to make everyone aware that the soon return of Jesus is close at hand by clicking the like, subscribe, and then share buttons below. Share this episode with your loved ones, friends, and co-workers. For more information on our ministry, please visit podcasterforchrist.com and be sure to come back next week for another episode of Revelation Warning.